We're in the second weekend of a series called Waiting, and this is taking the opportunity during quiet seasons to refill and refuel um, spiritually. It's in the, the midst of these moments where if you don't take this opportunity, when the busy stuff comes and the chaos occurs, you're going to wonder why you're so exhausted. Because you didn't take this time that God has given us to say, okay, let's just slow down. How can we you know, refill and refuel spiritually? Because I know those busy seasons will occur. You know, every season in our year has a, a rhythm. You know, I think of the spring, and you kind of, that's more of like a, a finishing or cleaning or you know, Thing, prepare, you're preparing yourself. You know, we got that solid month of spring uh, here in, in Duluth, and it's kind of mud season. There's not a lot you can really do. So you just decide, you know what, we're going to clean the house out. And then in summer, um, it's, you know, water, vacations, patios, bit, trying to slam as much as you possibly can into that, that period of time. In fact, when I first moved up here, that was one of the hardest adjustments from you know, just even Ohio to here was how busy summers are here because everybody's just trying to put as much as they possibly can into those two months that, that we have. And, you know, I was... Always, when I first moved here, I was always really frustrated with June. June bothered me because that's supposed to be summertime. And Duluth, that's not summertime yet. And once my mind shifted where summer is July, August, and September, September is amazing. Uh, then I got a little bit better, better there. And in fall, you know, you have your festivals and you're kind of preparing for the winter. You know, one of the saddest weekends is when you're putting away the deck furniture or the patio furniture and you're trying to time it perfectly. You know, you don't want to do, you know, early because then you got to drag it back out because there's that nice weekend. But man, you don't want to do that late when you're pushing, you know, snow off of your patio furniture before you put it away. And then winter is, is kind of different. The first part of winter is very busy. You know, you're shoveling, preparing for family maybe, or you're traveling. And then you have the season that we're in now where you're just shoveling, and it's quiet. There might be, you know, a couple weeks coming up where it's really, really cold, and we can be either really frustrated at that, or we can see it as an opportunity of, all right, this is the rhythm that God has given us. Why not fill ourselves up now spiritually? Because I know summer is coming. And how do we establish that rhythm? You know, it's how we, we work it. it. We have to be intentional with this rhythm because if you aren't intentional with trying to refill yourself spiritually, culture will consume it. There will always be more urgent things that will take your time, but not necessarily more important things. The urgent things will come, okay, I'll get to that later, I gotta do this, or I have this list of things that I'm working on, and, and maybe I'll get to have some time with God later on in the week or later on in the day, and that normally does not happen unless we intentionally place it first. But even those who are very close to God can work themselves to exhaustion, can work themselves to just, you know, I have emptied everything out, and you find yourself stuck 
uh, maybe in a more negative state or a more depressive state, and you don't necessarily know how to build yourself back up. And the answer to that is just rest, just plain old rest. And it's not something that we do very well. You know, back in the day, uh, you know, even just within a generation or so, um, there, Sunday was church day, and Wednesday evening was youth, you know, programming day at every church. And now we don't necessarily have any of that time available to us because you're busy. It's, it's, it's crazy now to think, like, it is a rarity to find a store or a restaurant closed on a Sunday when it used to be the exact opposite, where it was rare to find one open, on a Sunday. And so we have lost that, society has lost that rhythm, and unfortunately, we glommed on to it. And so in, in the Bible, there is a, one of my favorite stories uh, it centers around a prophet named Elijah. Now, I did an entire sermon series on Elijah a few years ago, but this is one of the nearing the end of his ministry, and he has basically poured himself out. He is nearing the end of his life, but he's also nearing the end of his ministry as well. And the chapter before this, he has this, uh, probably the climax, the pinnacle of his prophetic career is this showdown with the prophets of Baal. And he exposes them for being frauds, and God shows up in a big way. It's a big, big moment, and then he just pours himself out. And we're going to join the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. And he is going to be afraid. Because now he has gotten some publicity. Now people know who he is. And now there's a target on his back. Because he just showed up culture uh, in a big way. So in 1 Kings 19, we have this. It says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Have we ever, maybe not the take my life part, but have you ever prayed a prayer of, I've had enough. I'm done. God, I need you to either show up or get me out of this. I've had enough. Now, a lot clearly takes it to the next level of, you know what, I'd rather be dead. So he is clearly in a depressed state. He has poured himself out. There is no more time or energy. It's better for me just to be in heaven than to deal with these people. So he lays down under this bush and... Oh, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, verse 5. He lays down under, under the bush and falls asleep. All at once, an angel touches him and says, get up and eat. He looks around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down, lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent a night. So this is, and um, he's preparing for, the angel is preparing him for a meeting. And he was not strong enough physically to have this meeting with God. And so the angel is, is allowing him to rest. He baked him some bread. That takes some time. That's not just something you show up with. 
so the angel is caring for him, nursing him back to health, because he's got a big meeting coming up. Now, he's still tired spiritually, but at least physically now, he can make this journey to Horeb. And the word of the Lord came to him, and, and God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, here's where you have to pause for a second and ask yourself the question, does God know the answer to this before he asks it? Is he generally curious, like, hey, what are you doing here? Right? Or is he wanting Elijah to say, here's why I'm here? He's wanting Elijah to own this and say, here's why I am here. God knows what he's going to say, but Elijah needs to own what he's getting ready to say. And what he's getting ready to say is very common. Because when we are tired, we keep lists. And I normally see this um, in exhausted marriages or exhausted relationships. Here is all the stuff I have done for you. You, don't, you didn't even see that the house was clean today. You didn't even see or care or greet me at the door. You don't even know that I had this going on at work. Here's the thing I have today. Here's what my schedule tomorrow. Here's what I got going on this week. I am frazzled, chaos, and I'm just going to lay out my list of how, amaz- how much you should appreciate all that I have done. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had that done to you? And that's normally out of a point of just exhaustion or just, I don't want to do this anymore. So he has this meeting with God, and this is what Elijah says to God. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He's not the only one left. There's 300 some odd others. But in his mind at this point, that's all he sees. He only sees negative. That's called being exhausted. That's called, he just came off the biggest win of his career, yet he only sees the difficulty. Can you identify with that at all? So this is one of the most human moments of Elijah's life. And so the Lord says, okay, go out unto the mountain and stand in the presence of the Lord, for I am about to pass by. A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there's an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah hears it. He pulls his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice of the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God immediately begins to communicate with him exactly how he started with just a whisper, just a communic, just talking, a reminder of this is how we talk. It's not in the earthquake or the fire or the wind. It's this gentle whisper. I'm still here. I've always been here. I'm communicating with you in the way that I've communicated with my prophet in the same way. And Elijah, still in his exhaustion, answers the question, what are you doing here with? I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's like he has this script. Maybe he spent the 40 days journeying to this meeting and going, okay, what do I need to get across to God? Here's what I've done. Here's how you should be thanking me. Um, I am the only one left. Why are we even dealing with these people? Take me out of here. So even in the whisper, just after the moment of communication, he's still there 
in that exhaustion, spiritually empty. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Maloah, to succeed you as the prophet. We need to find a successor. You've worked yourself down to the bone. Now, Elijah will not go back and immediately die as he was hoping for, immediately get to heaven. He's going to now be pouring himself into Elisha to take over this prophetic ministry. Um, Elijah will be taken up into heaven and and will continue to come up in your Bible repeatedly over and over and over. He is one of the most important prophets of the time. And his legacy extends all the way through the New Testament and even to today. Uh, When John is baptizing people in the Jordan, like we talked about last week, they said, hey, are you Elijah? They're always expecting Elijah to come back because he was taken up into heaven. Uh, When Jesus was hanging on the cross, they said, well, maybe he's Elijah or maybe he could call to Elijah. That didn't happen either. Uh, and, And today, even at Passover Seders, there is a seat left out for Elijah at every Passover Seder in the Jewish home. So Elijah is always expected to be returning. So he is at a critical point, but even he reached the moment of just wiped out. So he got out of rhythm. He poured himself out too much at that last mountaintop battle and was consumed. And, he, and he, yeah, he got old. That's okay. He got tired. It's okay. But how are we, so if we see exhaustion and depression and anxiety happening to Elijah... Why wouldn't it happen to us? So what steps are we taking in our daily life and in our yearly life in order to kind of protect against those moments where you, maybe you've prayed those prayers to God of, I have done this, I have volunteered here, I have given this amount of time, and my life is still a mess. What am I even doing with this? You should be thanking me, God, for my faithfulness to you. God goes, I think we need a successor. <laughs> Maybe there's this season in your life because you can just reach that. So what I'm interested in is how do we not reach that? How do we protect against that? Because if we're not intentionally trying to protect against that and building our spiritual tank up, especially right now, summer will come. And how great of a Bible student are you uh, in, in the summer? Okay, so let's say you're not, you're, you're busy, you got stuff to do, good, good things. Culture will consume it. Okay. But right now, maybe next week, we're probably looking at negative something, right? And your plans and all that kind of stuff, maybe it will shift a little bit and you can say, hey, why don't I fill myself up now during this season? So I, even I, I have to establish a, a biblical kind of rhythm to my week. You know, as, a, as an example, so it's really hard for me to read the Bible without trying to immediately turn it into a sermon. So, and I know that I have to be able to read Scripture just to have a relationship with God without immediately making it work. So what I intentionally have to do is read a version of the Bible that I will never preach from. 
I will never teach because it just kind of shifts it in my head. So the way that my week works, a lot of people ask that because like, they think I work a solid four hours a week, and then we go home, and then we just sit and come back and do Right, Shannon? That's what your week looks like. And so the way that I work, and when I first started here, I actually had to change the entire rhythm of the church because it was offset of what my rhythm was. Uh, a lot of pastors, and I don't know why, will take Saturdays and Mondays off which means Sunday is the last day of the week for them. I don't know about you. How good of a performance are you putting in on your last day of the week? Is it a solid, is your Friday, let's say everybody in here is Monday to Friday, is your Friday as good as your Monday? Or are you just dragging that thing through and you're just hoping nobody notices your productivity is down to basically nothing? So I, my first day of the week, and I make it for the entire staff, is today. Today's the first day of my week. My weekends are Friday, Saturdays. Monday is usually staff development day. Kind of how did we, what did we mess up? What did we do well yesterday? But it also means that on Thursday afternoon, I have to have completed sermons. Because I, I don't, I try to build barriers into my life where um, I'm not doing Friday night or Saturday night specials, writing up sermons really quick just to punch them out here on a Sunday. So Wednesday, Thursday, usually my sermon prep days, and Tuesday is kind of my personal prep day or meetings or things like that. So intentionally, I have to schedule in my phone or somewhere, knock everything else off, (laughs) this is your time. And if I don't do that, culture will consume it. We need to do the same. So if we were to look at your calendar, your schedule, where is their time for you to allow God to pour into you spiritually. You know, what, what, when God goes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here? How many times have we prayed that prayer of, you know, God, where are you? I, don't, I haven't seen you in months, <laughs> is God's response. Like, what are you doing here? This isn't a way to have a, a relationship. I know, you know with, you might have a list of things that, that you have accomplished, but that's not necessarily a relationship. You know, if you treated, you know, your spouse in the same way that we, we talk to God, it would not be a great relationship sometimes of, you know, hey, Lindsay, here is a list of the things I have done for you. Now appreciate me, right? You are so lucky to have me in your life. Or do I do those things for her out of love and affection, not out of reward or recognition. And Elijah kind of fell into that there. And he fell into it because he got wiped out. And then he only sees, he says, I am the last one here. Why are we even messing with these people? And God immediately says, yeah, there's Elisha. Let's go find him. So he goes back and he finds him. He pours himself into Elisha and the ministry grows and People are reached for God. But we begin kind of working out of our own lists or successes or failures. Here's a question I've always kind of been haunted by because our family kind of makes decisions, especially with time, um, especially with our kids' time, on God wins, usually on kind of, as kids get older, their schedule just gets busier. And we have to establish, you know, uh, with them, God's going to win this argument on your time. 
from the outside, that probably looks weird from people that don't follow Christ or, or whatever that is. But, but what happens if you succeed by society standards, but you fail by God's standards? What, you know, by the time we're at the end of this, or reverse it, what happens if you fail by society standards, but you succeed by God's? And that's a really difficult choice because that takes intention to say, you know what, I might not make as much money, or I might give away more money, or I might not drive the sweetest car, but the mission is being fulfilled. You know, those kinds of decisions that we make are all about setting priorities and spiritual, and spiritual priorities as well. We make decisions differently in the church, and you should, in the faith, than culture will. We should look different. So Elijah is on the run, fleeing for his life. He's staying in caves. He's walking 40 days and 40 nights. He's probably not looking like the most successful prophet in the history of profiting. Um, but he has this meeting with God. And God says, we need to find you a successor. He will be taken up into heaven in his great reward. He'll show up all throughout the New Testament uh, with a conversation with Jesus as well in the transfiguration. His ministry is not done by any stretch, but he needed a rest. So today, um, we're going to take up communion together uh, as a church body. And I want just to take a moment, the team can come up wherever, oh, there you go. Um, the team can come up. We celebrate what's called open communion here at East Ridge, and you don't have to be a member here. You just have to be a believer to, to take it. What we're going to have you do is come up and take the elements and just go, go back to your seats and uh, we'll take them together as a family um, that way. But we're just going to take this moment to pause at the Lord's table here um, and have a moment of, of prayer. So, would you pray with me this morning? God, in this moment with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we pause around the table. We've been operating out of our own power and our own strength, and we feel a little weak. We need your rest. We need to find these moments in the quiet and the stillness of the season to refill. Because the busyness will come. Maybe it's just 10 minutes today. Maybe that's all that we have because we're maxed out. May we give you those 10. We pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.